Hi, good evening. Yeah, as James said, I'm Chloe. I've been coming to this church since I was 11. Um, a couple of uh, weeks ago, I was at Carla Conference and Christine Kane got up and she said to the conference that she felt so honoured because she had grown up in Hillsong Church and she was a child there and they had still allowed her to preach and lead. And I got quite emotional, but I am a breastfeeding woman, so that happens a lot. And I thought, actually, that's my story. What a privilege to have grown up in a church where, you know, people have seen me in all that teenagers are and all that they wear and still be given the opportunity <laughs> today to come and to preach um, and to share with you this evening. And I think it speaks so highly of the kind of church family that we're part of as well, that, um, that the leaders of this church have been um, investing in us and um, in so in encouraging us as we grow up. Um, Sandra said last week that she hadn't attended Bible college um, I've only got a slight advantage, which is that I attended the Bible College of Julian Owens. It was uh, between 6 and 7 a.m. every day uh, from the time I was about 3, maybe to 11. He can check me on the dates. But I was that kid that woke up really early. Everybody loves that kid. <laughs> and um, I was encouraged to go and wake up my dad, which is something that we're trying to instill in our family as well. And... Uh, <laughs> And he would read the Bible to me uh, first, like from the kids' Bible, and then he would read the, you know, real deal adult Bible to me. So um, I just want to say I'm so thankful to my dad for that. Um, and, you know, actually, I'm really happy that there are some kids here. This, uh, on my way in when I was driving here, I kind of, um, God just reminded me in my heart. Sorry, I don't know why I'm so emotional. <laughs> God reminded me um, actually how young I was when I first heard from him. And it wasn't like a, hey, you know, how cool is this? But I believe God wanted me to tell you guys tonight that actually you can hear from him no matter how young you are. Sorry. I was hoping not to cry, you know, this doesn't look good. Anyway, this is why I didn't speak at my wedding. I know I'd just cry. <laughs> um, you know, so actually, like, I think I was five when I became a Christian or when I first prayed that prayer, but I'd been hearing about God. I want to encourage you that... You know, you don't have to be a certain age. There isn't a minimum age in the kingdom of God of when he can start using you, when he can start talking to you. So it's awesome that you guys are here tonight. And I hope that what I say tonight doesn't totally go over your heads. We can catch up and do, you know, I'll explain it more another time if it does. Um, but a, another confession, this is my first Good Friday service here at Grace City Church. And maybe it is yours too. And um, maybe actually this is the one that you never miss. Whatever has brought you here this evening, I want to say you are so welcome and um, I really, really hope that you uh, leave this evening knowing that God really loves you. Um, I guess this is a fairly safe night to visit as well. You know what we're going to talk about, which is the cross. Um, in our series tonight, um, the title is Revolution Ends. And we're going to focus on the cross, which seemed like in every way a painful and agonizing end to Jesus' ministry. But if that were true, I really wouldn't have very much to talk to you about this evening. And thankfully, we do not have a God who's limited by concepts such as start and end. And we don't have a God who's limited by concepts such as life and death. And we certainly do not have a God who is going to let a few jealous Jews and a few Roman soldiers put an end to something that was really just beginning. 
So whatever brought you here tonight, let me tell you that back when God created the world, he thought of you and he had a plan for you. And he had a plan to protect his relationship with you for all eternity. And he knew that tonight would take place and he knew that you would be here. And he wants to make sure that you know that the cross was for you. And there are two groups in particular that I want to address this evening. The first group, perhaps you've heard of God, but you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian. Or perhaps you do call yourself a Christian, but this concept of relationship with God, something more than just a visit to church every now and then, you're not quite sure about what that's all about. Yesterday, my husband tried sashimi for the first time. He's never, he never eats fish, but his colleague brought him some fresh fish that had been caught yesterday. And she said to him, Sam, promise me that you will just try a little bit. Just try a little bit. And Sam was like, all right. And so he came home, and I love sashimi, so I was like, oh, do I have to share? And cut it all up, and I said, here, go try it. And he put it in his mouth, and he said, okay, you win this one. That was good. And I want to say my invitation to you this evening is just try. Would you just open your hearts and just try a little bit? Just come and open your heart and say, God, do you really want to speak to me tonight? Do you have something for me tonight? There's a second group of people that I would like to address this evening, and that is you you are a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You know you're a Christian. You know God. You've got a relationship with God. But actually, as life's plans unfold and sometimes things happen that are unexpected or hard, sometimes you find it hard to see what God is doing, to see where God's plans are in all of that, to understand what's going on. And I believe that there's a message in the cross tonight for you as well. If you've got your Bibles, let's grab them. We're going to read. We're actually going to read quite a big chunk tonight, but I really wanted to read the actual story. Um, We're going to be reading Matthew 27, verse 27 to 54. Um, How we've got here tonight is that Jesus has been preaching radical message of love and forgiveness for three years. And he's been telling his disciples that God loves them. He's been telling people that they can be healed, that the kingdom of God is coming. But the Jewish people, the, the Jewish religious leaders, the top dogs in the synagogue, well, they hated it. Because their entire pride, purpose, position, lucrative income stream was all based upon the fact that people felt that they weren't good enough. And so Jesus' message of love, forgiveness, and grace was really ruining everything. And they wanted him dead. And so Jesus is betrayed by one of his disciples. He's handed over to them for questioning. And even though they don't even really have anything to convict him of, other than the fact that he, he did say, I am the son of God, they said, right, blasphemy. We'll take you for blasphemy. And they hand him over to Pilate. And Pilate was a Roman governor. He didn't really want anything to do with it. He kind of washed his hands of it and he said, look, I don't, I don't know what this is. This is a religious issue. But the crowds overcame and they decided to crucify Jesus. And that's where we start our passage tonight. Verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand 
Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail Jesus, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes again. And then they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasted it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up the clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. You know, they didn't take it from him. He was always in control. In John 10, 18, it says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. I love how that's just one verse. (laughs) They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you had a plan. And Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and all that he endured for us. Father, I pray that revelation that came upon the soldiers that night would be in each of our hearts this evening, that we would leave here knowing that surely you are the Son of God. Father, would you come and speak to each one of us this evening? Amen. Being prepared for something uh, can actually make us calmer. Now, when we're thrown into something we weren't expecting, especially when it's something distressing or hard, knowing that what we're experiencing is normal and temporary can really help. So Sam and I were watching House of Cards, and this is like the first drama I'd ever watched, and it was getting quite intense, 
And much to Sam's horror, I went online and read what was going to happen. <laughs> because there was this one character that I really liked and I could kind of sense that something was going on and I was like, oh, she's going to die. Yeah, I know it. And so I, I looked up and yeah, pretty unpleasant death. And so when the episode came, I was like, right, I can do this. And I got Sam to fast forward it so I didn't have to watch it with sound. But I was like, all right, I can watch it. It was just a little bit better knowing that things, knowing how it was going to pan out. And the same, I work in a labour ward, I'm a midwife. And once we know that labour is normal, we actually spend a lot of the time just reassuring everybody in the room that everything is normal. You know, like we'll say, it's okay, it's going to get more painful, it's all right, hang in there, this is normal. Okay, this bit's going to really, really hurt, but you're going to get through it. Like that contraction's really going to hurt, but you're going to get through it. It's going to feel like you want to punch your husband in the face, but you're going to get through it. And we give people this reassurance. And we can see that Jesus was trying to do the same thing with his disciples in the weeks before. In Matthew 16, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You know, he was just casually dropping it into conversation all the time. Like, don't worry, guys, it's all right. But they didn't really... They didn't really get it. And it says in the Bible that they didn't understand and they were afraid to ask. Because I guess they had no reference point. Like Jesus couldn't just whip out a quick YouTube video and be like, look, this is death. This is resurrection. It's going to be fine. Like they didn't understand. And as events kind of panned out, it says in the Bible actually that the disciples fled, that they ran away. What was happening was so horrifying to them that they couldn't watch it. You know, as Jesus was mocked and spat on and beaten and stripped of his clothes, that they couldn't watch the blood pouring down his face from the crown of thorns. One of the Gospels says that John and Jesus' mother was there. The other Gospels don't mention any of the disciples. So we've got good reason to believe that most of them weren't there. And can you blame them for feeling like something had gone wrong in the plan somewhere? Because as Jews, they did understand the need to be right before God, something that perhaps our culture has lost. And they understood that sin gets in the way, much as in the same way that if I offend a friend of mine, my relationship with them is not quite the same. You know, they understood that, that there was something between them and God, but they didn't know what the answer was going to be. But they did understand that they weren't good enough. There was something that the Jewish rabbis really hammered into them. There was no like, oh, she'll be right, mate, in the synagogue. Like, it was no, bring your money, come and sacrifice again. You are guilty. You are shameful. Come again. There was nothing that had been offered to them that permanently removed that heaviness, that feeling of sin. They only ever had something that would temporarily lift it temporary reconciliation to their relationship with God. They understood that sin got in the way. But maybe sin isn't the word that you would use to describe what you're feeling. You know, sin isn't a very trendy word. But what sin essentially does is trap us. And maybe trapped is something you might feel more like. Perhaps trapped by 
the need to be better or trapped by the need to improve or trapped by guilt, trapped by how you did something in the past, trapped by desire to be somebody else, to be thinner, look younger, be stronger. Trapped by this striving inside of us that there's this sense that all is not well. And all of these things trap us when our relationship with God is not how it should be. When your heart hasn't heard your heavenly father calling, I chose you. I love you. I saved you. I want you in my family and I see you as you are, and I still love you. Because you see, God wasn't satisfied with temporary reconciliation. Jesus came because God doesn't just want custody of your hearts on weekends, when you've read your Bible, when you helped your neighbor move, when you've done all the right things that you feel like you've got to do so that you're right before God. Jesus came because God wants custody of your heart 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When you're down in the dirt, feeling filthy in sin, or when you're trapped and you can't work out what's truth and what's lie, he sees you and he says, I made a plan for you. He doesn't want you to be striving all the days of your life. He wants relationship. But it had a price. And that price was Jesus. Jesus was becoming sacrifice for them. Jesus was the Lamb of God in place of animal sacrifice, something that the Jewish culture understood. And at the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and he took the wine and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Why? Because God wanted relationship with you. He didn't want anything getting in the way anymore. I'm going to share a story with you that is from Sam and my life. Sam's not here tonight because he's on the bedtime shift. Let's pray for him. And um, but he did give me permission to share this with you. Um, About four years ago, he started a new job. And like in his first week, we could tell that this was not his dream job. Like it was pretty clear. And he kind of kept working, you know, he was a dad, he needed to earn income, so he stuck it out. But we just prayed constantly that God would bring along something else. And I felt God say to me that, that Sam was going to be running his own business. This was about four years ago. So we prayed into it, we started knocking on doors and nothing happened. Meanwhile, his work went from bad to worse, his relationship with his boss went from bad to worse. His work lifestyle was very challenging And about two years ago, we took a day out of our schedules and we just said, let's pray. Let's pray about it. God, we need breakthrough in this. And we prayed that God would let him break camp and that he would provide a new job. And we sent a message to some of our friends, um, particularly those who were prophetic. And we said, would you pray with us today? Um, We didn't tell them what we were praying about. And just said, if you get any messages from God, could you tell us? And... I then felt God give me a word and I wrote it down because it's actually really hard to prophesy into your own circumstances because there's so much emotion, so many desires. So I just wrote it down. I said, Sam, we can read that later and we'll just see what the other words are and see if it fits. And we got one specific word back 
And it was from my brother-in-law and he prefaced it with like, I don't know if this is relevant, seemed a bit random, but I just got the phrase, persevere with your boss. And we laughed because it was 100% relevant, but 100% not what we wanted to hear from God. <laughs> and then I shared my word with, with Sam. Um, and the word that I had for Sam was that actually he was only in early labor and that things were going to get a lot worse before they got better. But there would be complete breakthrough. So all of it didn't feel like a very encouraging day. <laughs> you know, actually what we wanted to hear from God, he didn't tell us. And fast forward a few months and things really had gotten much worse. So they were at the point where I actually offered to Sam that if he wanted to resign and take the time looking for work, I could go back full time. My job was there waiting for me. So I said, why don't you do that? I'll go back. You find something else. Because it was so hard for me to watch him so unhappy as well. But then I got pregnant, praise God. But then I took up a full-time position on the couch. And not only could I not be, you know, the saviour and go back to work full-time, I couldn't make him meals, make a cup of tea, really do anything useful. And, you know, God totally took away the ability for me to get in the way of his plans, you know. And if it wasn't for my mom, Sam would have eaten me garang for about nine months. So... <laughs> But not only did he take me away from that situation, Sam now had more to do. He had more parenting, more housework, more jobs, more burden, minimal sleep, maximum output. God had really taken him to the edge of where he could be. And as dark as that word had been about things getting much worse before they got better, it kind of became this word of hope that when things got worse, we were like, maybe we're almost there. Maybe we're almost there. And it was something that we would pray about and we would pray, God, would you just lead us through, just strengthen us, just hold us through this last little bit. And then we had some practical things to sort out. You know, we were having baby number three. Where were we going to live? And so the logical side of my brain said, let's move somewhere cheaper. And so we prayed and asked God and I fully expected God to say, you choose. Because often he does say that, you know, but he didn't. He spoke so clearly into my heart and he said, I'm not finished with you on the northern beaches yet. I want you to live in Coleroy. And I was like, God, have you seen the house prices in Coleroy? <laughs> and so Sam and I moved into a two-bedroom unit. Yes, there are five of us in there. And I said, God, you need to change my heart on this. And within 24 hours, he absolutely did. And he gave me a list of all the things that he was going to teach our family during the time that we're living in that unit. But it's still hard to see sometimes what God is doing. But on August 24th, in the most perfect way, God began a new season in us. The painful labor that Sam had been in and my own pain painful labor came to an end at the same time. You know, God is not sloppy with time. He's the author of time. And August 24th was Amelia's due date. And babies don't often arrive on their due date, which makes this even more significant. And she arrived, and it was the same day that Sam sat an assessment, having had two hours sleep on a hospital couch, to allow him to run a preschool in Coleroy, two minutes from our house, where he is now running a business, and he is doing all that God promised.
and we started to see why he had done it that way. But you never forget how it feels when you feel like, God, did you forget us? God, what's going on? And then I think about the disciples, you know, like our situation, like the disciples, they would have been there at the cross and gone, God, I thought you were the way, the truth and the life, but you're dead. God, you said you were always going to be there, but right now you're really not. I thought you were the light of the world, but have you looked around? Everything's gone dark. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that seemed so dark and confusing, almost like Jesus had given up. But those words are from Scripture. And those words are from Psalm 22, a psalm that speaks of darkness turned to light. A psalm that from the depths of darkness prophesies about Jesus. And so as much as it felt like God was gone, as Jesus died, it felt like God didn't know what he was doing. It felt like it was a big mess. Jesus was saying to them, don't you remember that psalm? God comes through. He doesn't break his promises. He is faithful. And he's saying to them, God is in control. Death is not going to have the final word here. This is part of God's plan. And at that moment, the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. And that is significant because no man could have done that. And it was a sign of what Jesus had achieved for us. His death gave us access to the Father. Eternal friendship, eternal son and daughtership with God. No more guilt, no more shame, no more fear. And even... The soldiers, as the earth shook in that moment, the same soldiers who'd been yelling at Jesus going, really, you thought you were the son of God? You thought this, this thought was a good plan? Save yourself? Those same soldiers said, surely you are the son of God. And it took an earthquake, but people started to see that really the cross was not our saviour in human hands, but it was our saviour in God's hands. Because God's ways are not our ways. The cross seems like foolishness, but God always had a plan. 